It's Tuesday, and you know what that means. It's a new episode with the Murder Bucket Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. Good evening, Murder Bucket family, and welcome back to Tuesday. We have a mini episode tonight, and we are talking about the Lindbergh kidnapping. So let's go ahead and get started. Charles Lindbergh was born in Detroit, Michigan on February 4th, 1902. He was the only child of Charles August and Evangeline. His father, Charles, immigrated from Sweden to Minnesota as an infant. He became a U.S. congressman from 1907 until 1917. His mother was a chemistry teacher. From an early age, Charles showed interest in aviation and went to college as a mechanical engineering student. He decided to quit college in 1922 and enrolled at the Nebraska Aircraft Corporation's Flying School in Lincoln. To gain flight experience and earn money for further lessons, he decided to leave school in June and spend several months barnstorming. According to Google, barnstorming was a form of entertainment in which stunt pilots performed tricks either individually or in groups. When winter showed up, he returned home. He didn't fly again for almost a year and a half until he bought a former World War I biplane in May of 1923. After practicing, he flew 140 miles to the west of Montgomery, Alabama for his first solo cross-country flight. He then made his first night flight near Lake Village, Arkansas. He then began flying local physicians across the Wisconsin River to emergency calls that were unreachable because of flooding. Charles was grounded for a week in June of 1923 when he ran the plane into a ditch in Minnesota while flying his father to a campaign stop. He ended up flying to Iowa in October where he sold his plane to a flying student. He returned home by train. He began a year of military flight training with the United States Army Air Service in 1924. He had a serious accident just eight days before graduation when he collided mid-air with another plane. This forced him to bail out. Immediately following graduation, Charles returned to civilian aviation as the Army did not need additional active-duty pilots. In 1925, he was hired by the Robertson Aircraft Corporation to fly for the new contract airmail Route No. 2 between St. Louis and Chicago. Fast forward just a few years on May 20, 1927, when Charles flew from Long Island to Paris, France. After 33 and a half hours, he landed in Paris to a crowd estimated at 150,000 people. They stormed the field when he landed and carried him around for nearly half an hour. Several souvenir hunters damaged his plane before it could reach a hangar. Charles finally reached his residence and rested for the first time after being awake for nearly 60 hours. Charles received acclaim for his historic flight. The French president, Gaston Dumergue, bestowed the National Order of Legion of Honor on Charles. 
This is the highest French order of merit for both military and civilians. Charles then flew to Brussels. He was welcomed by military officers, and his plane was put on a platform so the crowd could see it. He then visited the Belgian royal palace at the invitation of King Albert I. He then traveled to the United Kingdom so his plane could be dismantled for shipment back to New York. He was honored as the first Time Magazine Man of the Year when he appeared on the cover on January 2, 1928. While Charles was in the Air Corps of the Officers Reserve Corps of the United States Army, he was promoted to the rank of colonel. He was awarded the Medal of Honor by President Coolidge on March 21, 1928. He was able to use his fame to promote his airmail service, and between 1929 and 1931, he carried small numbers of souvenir covers on the first flight routes in Latin America and the Caribbean. Charles married Anne Morrow on May 29, 1929 at the Morrow Estate in Inglewood, New Jersey. Together, they had six children, Charles Jr., John Morrow, Land Morrow, Anne, Scott, and Reeve. Even though Charles was famous because of his aviation skills, he became even more famous when his son, Charles Jr., was abducted in 1932. Let's talk about it. Around 10 p.m. on March 1, 1932, the family nurse, Betty Gow, found that 20-month-old Charles Jr. was not with his mother or in his crib. When Charles Sr. was alerted, he ran to his room and found a ransom note. He grabbed a gun and scoured the house and grounds with the family butler, Ollie. While searching, they found footprints under the baby's window, broken pieces of a wooden ladder, and the baby's blanket. The Hopewell Police Department was contacted by Ollie, and Charles contacted the family lawyer. When the Hopewell Police Department and New Jersey State Police arrived, they did an extensive search of the home and the surrounding area. They brought in a fingerprint expert who found no usable fingerprints, leading them to believe that the kidnapper wore gloves. The only fingerprints found were those of Charles Jr. They examined the ransom note that was found by Charles Sr., and it reads this. Dear Sir, have 50 thousand dollars ready, $25,000 in $20 bills, $15,000 in $10 bills, and $100,000 in $5 bills. After two to four days, we will inform you where to deliver the money. We warn you for making any public or for notifying the police the child is in great care. Indication for all letters are signature and three holes. It contained several spelling and grammar errors. The bottom of the note had two interconnecting circles surrounding a red circle with a hole punched through the red circle and two more holes to the left and right. When it was examined later on by experts, they determined that it was written by the same person and believed that the writer was foreign and had only spent a short amount of time in America. The police looked at the ladder and noticed that it wasn't built correctly. Investigators hired several professionals to examine the ladder to see if they could determine how many different types of wood were used and if there was a pattern to the nail holes. On March 2nd, just one day after the kidnapping, FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover contacted the New Jersey Police Department and told them to contact the FBI if they needed assistance, that they would provide any resources requested. 
An award of $25,000 was offered for anyone who could provide any information pertaining to this case. The Lindbergh family offered an additional $50,000, totaling the reward to $75,000. On March 6th, a new ransom letter arrived by mail to the estate. It was postmarked March 4th in Brooklyn. The ransom had been raised to $70,000. A third ransom letter arrived that stated that John Condon should be the intermediary between Lindbergh family and the kidnappers. It also specified the size of the box the money should come in and that the family shouldn't contact the police. Who was John Condon? At the time, he was a well-known Bronx personality and retired teacher. He offered $1,000 if the kidnapper would turn the child over to a Catholic priest. He claims that he received a letter from the kidnapper claiming that they wanted him to be the intermediary. On March 16th, John received a toddler sleeper in the mail as well as another ransom note. Charles Sr. stated that the sleeper was that of his son's. The ransom was then packaged in a wooden box. It included a number of gold certificates. It was believed that since they were about to be withdrawn from circulation, that it would be easier to spot them once someone spent them. On April 2nd, John was given a note from a cab driver that stated Charles Jr. was in the care of two innocent women. Orville Wilson, a delivery truck driver, and his assistant, William Allen, pulled to the side of the road on May 12th so that they could use the bathroom in the woods. William walked to a grove of trees and discovered the body of a small toddler. The skull had been fractured and the body was decomposing. The family nurse, Betty Gow, identified the baby as Charles Jr. from the overlapping toes of the right foot and a shirt that she had made. The police suspected that the kidnapper knew the family. They turned their attention to Violet Sharp, a servant at the Morrow home who gave police contradicting information regarding her whereabouts. She died by suicide on June 10, 1932, when she ingested silver polish just before she was going to be questioned for the fourth time. Police began to search for the ransom bills. A few days before the presidential order that all gold certificates had to be exchanged by May 1, 1933, a man brought $2,980 to a Manhattan bank for exchange. The police realized that these bills were from the ransom. The mystery man gave the name J.J. Faulkner, but when police went to the address he provided, no one by that name had lived there for over 20 years. Several months went by before another gold certificate was used. A Manhattan bank teller noticed one from the ransom on September 18, 1934. A license plate number had been written in one of the margins by a gas station manager. The manager told police that he became suspicious and believed that it had been counterfeit. The license plate was registered to a sedan owned by Richard Hauptmann, who was an immigrant from Germany. When police arrested him, he was carrying a single $20 gold certificate and $14,000 of the ransom money was found in his garage. He was interrogated and beaten while in police custody. He claimed that the money was left by his friend Isidore Fish. He stated that he learned that Isidore died after he returned to Germany. Richard found a shoebox that contained the ransom money and decided that since he found it, it was his now and he didn't have to return it. He denied any involvement in the kidnapping. 
When police searched his home, they found a large amount of evidence that did link him to the crime. There was a notebook that had a sketch of a ladder as well as John Condon's number and address written on a closet wall. Richard was indicted in the Bronx for extorting the $50,000 ransom from Charles Sr. He was indicted for the kidnapping in New Jersey just two weeks later. He was charged with capital murder and his trial was held in Hunterdon County Courthouse in Flemington, New Jersey. He was convicted and immediately sentenced to death. His attorneys appealed to the New Jersey Court of Errors and Appeals on June 29, 1935. Richard and his attorneys attempted to appeal two other times to which they were denied. Richard was electrocuted on April 3, 1936. Anna Hauptman, Richard's wife, sued the state of New Jersey twice trying to clear her husband's name until her death in 1994. And finally, the Lindbergh kidnapping in pop culture. In May of 1932, just one day after the baby's body was discovered, country artist Bob Miller recorded two songs titled Charles Lindbergh Jr. and There's a New Star Up in Heaven. Agatha Christie wrote a novel titled Murder on the Orient Express in 1934. It said that she was inspired by this case when she wrote about the kidnapping of baby girl Daisy Armstrong in her book. Maurice Sendak wrote a book titled Outside Over There in 1981, inspired by the kidnapping and aftermath. The kidnapping, investigation, and trial are featured in the biopic of J. Edgar Hoover, titled J. Edgar Hoover in 2011. And Melanie Benjamin wrote a historical fiction book in 2013 titled The Aviator's Wife that is written from the perspective of Anne Morrow Lindbergh. And that is the story of the Lindbergh kidnapping. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Have a wonderful evening. I hope you enjoyed tonight's episode. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.